Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Ah, thanks so much for being here. It's a special episode because it's my birthday. Heck yeah! Birthday for me is 40. Uh, I've mentioned that recently in the podcast. You know, I was just talking to one of my best friends. And he was saying, you know, this whole midlife thing is all relative because someone could die at 36, you know, so that means they're, they're at midlife at 18, you know, like it's, it's very relative. And also our generation is more than likely going to live longer than 80. So 40 is probably not midlife. Think about it. My grandparents lived into their 80s early 80s, but still their 80s, and that was 30 years ago. Like, you know, we're living longer now. <laughs> like, I'm probably going to outlive my grandparents' age. So you know what? I'm not midlife. And all this stuff I was saying about like, oh, I haven't accomplished this by my age. I'm 40 now, and you know, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, who cares? I'm going to accomplish things. I've already accomplished things. And, uh, who cares if I did it by this dumb benchmark that we created? <laughs> you know, like, I just think about all the people. Like, think of Jon Stewart. He really hit his stride in his career in his 40s. Mark Marin hit his stride in his late 40s and 50s. Conan O'Brien is, like, bigger than ever. He's in his 50s, you know? Tina Fey's in her 40s. She's awesome. She's, she's thriving. Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones got cast on SNL at 47? You know what? I'm not going to worry about 40 anymore. I don't feel any different than I did 10 years ago. I sound like I'm complaining. I'm excited. It's my birthday. And I'm going to celebrate by doing a bird box challenge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blindfold myself and eat pizza. I'm going to have uh, a, a, a bourbon and Coke, too. So it's going to be a, a drunk birthday bird box challenge. I can't wait. Hey, here is some news in the comedy world. The UCB East, the Beast, as it's known, is shutting down. That is um, shocking news, but also a little troubling because of the recent news that we've heard about them having to, they had to lay off people. They had to stop doing some marketing things and, and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully these decisions will help them continue on. Um, they are... They are going to do shows, from what I understand, on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights at a different theater, at a different space. So uh, not everyone at UCB East is going to necessarily lose their stage time. But gosh, I just got to say, like, all the love to them. I hope they they continue to thrive. Like, we, we I just feel like this community would have a big gap if we didn't have UCB in it. Well, folks, today's episode, aside from being my birthday is an exciting one for me. It's with this amazing comedian and actress, and she's a producer and a writer. Her name is Lisa Kleinman, and I talk a little bit with her about how I found out about her. She is so, so funny. I'm very excited to share this episode with you because I was very excited to have her on the podcast. So why don't we just get right to it? Here is my guest. Here is my chat with Lisa Kleinman. Here's how I found out about you. It okay. was uh, <laughs> it was a delightful oh, experience. It was uh, I went to see the live taping of the That's What She Said podcast. Oh yes, yes, yes. Of course. I so you do you know Tree? I so the way I found out about that was because of Tala. Oh right and, on, yeah. So they're like my buds, like my longtime buds from college. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, uh, you could tell that you all had a rapport, like you had known each other for a long time. And um, yeah, uh, and I had a great time there. You were so funny. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. No, you were hilarious. You had great stories, and um, 
uh, I just thought, oh, she's really great. I should try to get her on the podcast. And then I saw you at UCB. You performed uh, uh, on a sketch show there a couple of times. I went to go see a friend's show, and their team, the foundation, was paired with your oh, group. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, the foundation is a long-time uh, rival of my old team, Arch, ne- Arch Nemesis. <laughs> and by rival, I mean we were just paired together, and then they're the best. Yeah, it's it's a fun uh, team up of, uh, mm-hmm. of sketch forces, and uh, so I and actually it was like a, a good bit of time in between the two. So at first I was like, "How do I know this person?" Oh, that's so funny! <laughs> it was because I saw you. At, that's what she said. Yeah, that one was really fun. It's also really fun because I went to school with Cal and Therese, and we went to acting school together, and they're like like really good serious actors you know and they do like incredible plays and shows and then I kind of took a little bit more of like a writer performer like comedy background you know like when I graduated Mm -hmm. so I'll go see their plays and like cry and like you know have like an existential crisis and then like I just like I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, you've seen, like, the UCB shows. It's just, like, kind of, like, just the best nonsense of all time. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, but I, I do think it, the, the UCB sketch shows are on par with any play that you're seeing here oh, in New I York. Hope so. you know, I like, hope so. Um, no, well, it's great stuff. A lot of great, talented people are there. And, yeah. Um, and, yeah, you know, so you went to college with them. Where was that again? So we went to Boston University, um, and at BU, they have, like, a theater conservatory. So mm-hmm. we were all um, theater acting majors, and we got our BFAs there. So it was, like, Boston is, like, Boston University is, like, a really big school, like yeah. an NYU. Yeah. But the theater school is, like, crazy small. So I think, and I don't remember 100% accurately, but I think our, like, graduating class was, like, ballpark of, like, 45, 50 people. Oh, wow. You know, so it's like very, very intimate, very Mm -hmm. kind of incestuous. Mm -hmm. And you really get to know people uh, very well, kind of like for better or for worse. But in my case, definitely for better with uh, those women. Yeah, they are really great and talented. And uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of Tala. Um, She's so incredibly nice. And I know. uh, Gosh, like I... um, just to brag on her a little bit, I I watched Legends of Tomorrow, and that's how I really found out about her and became such a big fan of hers. And I tweeted her asking acting advice because I've been uh-huh. living here just under two years, and so I would, you know I'm just trying to get somewhere as well, and um, you know I'm just trying to ask anyone for advice about those things. And she gave me some really great advice and responded. Yeah. I thought that was really nice. And then I saw her post about the live taping and I said well I I would like to check that out and I went and she saw me and recognized me oh my god she's so good I know yeah and I was like what how why would she recognize me and then she was so so nice like she's she talks to you like she's known you forever you know like she's not she wasn't distant at all. She gave she. I, I walked up to say hey, and she gave me a hug. Like, like uh-huh. I, I was just walking up. You know. I know. I feel like now that Tal is like blowing up because like she's like a legitimate superhero. She's like yeah. one of those people that like won't ever like know how like famous she is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, I, I do, think yeah. she's like a really down to earth person yeah. who is like a genuine. Um, you know, like just she just wants to connect, and she's like not really kind of like into you know, like pomp and circumstance when it comes to anything. So I feel like she's like a, she's going to be a good a good celeb. Yeah, her and Lin Manuel, they're brightening the world. I know. Have you? I've been. Uh, I've, I'm very curious to see Mary Poppins. I am too. And you know what? I've never seen the first one. No, that's insane. I, I see. I don't even. I don't love the first one. Mm-hmm. I'm not like. It always seems like very like old timey to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I can't believe. Where did you grow up that you didn't see Mary Poppins? Oh, it's not because of where I grew up. I just was one of those kids who wasn't super into musicals. Like they just didn't. I love music right. and I love movies and want to be in movies. And I'm one of those people who likes music on a, a nerdy level. So you would think mm-hmm. I would like it, but I've just 
I have whenever I've seen one like when I saw uh, My Fair Lady, I was super into it, <laughs> but I just don't make it a point to see them. Uh, so I haven't yeah. seen it, but I want to see it now just so I can see the return. Yeah, I think because it, it looks well good. Yeah, I think it I does know. too. Um, so I yeah. want to check that out. Um, but yes, those are two bright spots in the world who uh, who are just seem like really down to earth and uh, make everyone feel better about living. Yeah, which is a good thing, and we need it right now. And it's great that yes. you met them in college. I do. I know it's so crazy. Like we look back at pictures and it's like we were such babies and like also in acting school, like, I don't know what your experience was, but like we did, we played roles and did plays that were just so like far beyond our depth as like, you know, <laughs> 17 to 21 year olds. Yeah. Like I did a production that is like so embarrassing to even think about now. And it was like not a main stage production. It was like a classroom production, but of course we treated it like legit. Mm-hmm. And it was an all female Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, wow. That's a and tough, it was, dense script to try to work with when you're super young. Yeah, I was a sophomore, so that means I was like 19, yeah. maybe. And yeah. I played Levine, which is Jack Lemmon's character. <laughs> the and I character. wanted the role, just the, the oldest character, just because I had the most lines. I was like, well, clearly I should have the one with the most lines, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, what acting is. And <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, argu- I mean, I, I'm sure it was horrible but my dad still thinks it was like the best thing of all time and there is like a rumor that there will be an all-female uh revival of glengarry glen ross on broadway and my oh, dad's wow. like how do we how do we get you <laughs> yeah no that'd be really He's like, cool you already did it i know I guess, yeah i don't I don't know. I mean, I guess when you redo something and you change such a huge thing about it, I'm kind of like, why? So I'm just a little (laughs) curious as to like what the point of it is, but I'm sure I I would see it just for the nostalgia. I saw an all-female Hamlet when I was in college, at my college. I think that makes more sense because it's like Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. all men as kind of like a choice of the the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, for Mammoth, I guess Mammoth has some, like, history, but and but Glengarry Glen Ross seems, I don't know, maybe I don't have as much of, like, a drama criticism background to be, like, understanding why it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was, like, I just wish I had tape of me as a 19-year-old <laughs> girl yeah, playing, yeah. playing uh, <laughs> Levine. Um, Being I, like, I need the leads. I, I think that's hilarious. And Yeah, it was uh, very funny. Was were Therese or, or Tala in that as well? Or is it No no, they weren't. And I remember talking to Therese about it because she's from Chicago and she mm-hmm. saw the, like the Steppenwolf production. Oh, okay. And I remember because I think the casting was a little weird. We had to like submit like who we thought we should play. And I was like, Who do you think I would play? And she was like, Well, if I were you, I would want to play Roma because I think mm. in the Chicago production, Dave Pasquese did it and like murder. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, but this character has like all the lines. So I was like really hell bent I, on like, that kind of like badge of honor of like just learning the most lines. I, uh, for one, I should mention that also Therese is really nice as well. Oh, like I, I raved sure. about Tala, but she was. I oh, met yeah. her at that event, and she was super, super nice as well. But well, yes. they're basically oh. married, so it's really yeah. they share all. They share all uh, compliments. I feel yeah. like compliment <laughs> for Tala is a compliment for Therese. <laughs> they're better halves of each other. Uh, they, I think that is very true. I really wish I could have seen that Dave Pesquese because I heard that he was in that, I and know. I was like, I bet that was amazing. Yeah, she said it was incredible, and that's, like, mm-hmm. a cool thing about... I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, so I saw a lot of Broadway plays, but there's something that, that you know, from my Chicago friends that seems, like, pretty epic about mm-hmm. the Chicago, like, theater scene and the Goodman and Steppenwolf that you get to see some really cool stuff as a kid. Yeah. And speaking of being a kid, uh, were you, mm-hmm. as a kid, into acting, or was that something that you were kind of into until you got into college? Like, what was the, the background for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost, like, embarrassing to say because my life has, like, taken so many twists and turns career-wise that, mm-hmm. have, that are, like, all related to being a performer, but definitely I've had to, like, evolve. But I think 100% I've always wanted to just be an actor. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, like I remember like from like 
you know, day camp lip syncs, like taking those super seriously, like <laughs> always doing like a play instead of like a paper and like always being really like credited and rewarded for it. Like I always, I wasn't like a very, um, fearless kid. Like, I think I was always like a little scared of everything, but for mm -hmm. performing, I just would have gotten up in front of the entire school and done anything. You know, yeah. I just, I just, I think I'm the youngest. Like, I don't know if that's a thing, but I feel like <laughs> youngest children like crave a lot of attention and like really try to carve out their space. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So I think I, in my opinion, I feel like I'm like kind of like a typical younger sibling who like always yeah. wants the attention. Well, at some point, um, it became serious in an, in an acting way, I guess, and um, then a comedy way as well. When did the comedy part become a part of your journey? The comedy part came so much later because when you're thinking, I didn't realize I would do things like accidentally that were funny but I always wanted to be like in Romeo and Juliet. Like I was like, well, I want to be Juliet. Like even in like Queen Gary Glenn Ross, I was like, I want to be Levine. I didn't even think about, I just thought you should have the hardest role. You should be the kind of ingenue. It should be the most dramatic. Like that really kind of proves that you're an actor, but I don't think I was ever really great at that. And I never really like kind of like listened to like my own instincts. And then when I was a senior in college, we did this, like showcase for like agents and managers, you know, um, in like New York and, and Boston and Washington DC, which is a weird place to do it that we won't get into, which is like a weird product of our college. But, um, I was kind of like running low on scenes that I thought would be good to do for the showcase. And I ended up writing two sketches, uh, one sketch with, uh, two other girlfriends and then another sketch with another girlfriend and they like did really well and they were just like comedy sketches basically and they were kind of like standouts and we all wrote them together and it was like the first kind of clue that like I really enjoy doing this you know, like <laughs> kind of like write, also like writing your own material. Like it really came from like a need of like, I want to impress these people, but I really can't think of something that already exists. So I'm mm. going to make something new. And, mm. and that kind of like was the slippery slope into like a full blown, like improv sketch uh, career. That to me is the best way to find out that you want to go into comedy, that it's something that was serendipitous. And I think like you, I don't know, it's like trying to figure out who you are as an actor is, I guess, probably really similar to how you try to figure out as a comedian. It's like really about your point of view right. and like who you are and what you really want to say. And it took me like a, a lot of years and a lot of maturity to like admit what I was good at and admit what I wasn't good at. And then also kind of think about what I want to say and how I want to communicate so I think like a lot of the work that like traditional actors do on themselves is the same that, you know, kind of writers and comics do because in the end you're you on stage. That's like what I really believe. And mm -hmm. it's like, you have this like very little window of saying something. Um, so when connecting with the audience in that way. So I, I think I, I, I found it a little bit later. It took, it took me a, like, you know, into my like, you know, like late twenties to really kind of figure out um, what my voice was. But I totally agree with you that it's something that, that the different forms of performance, uh, the, the performers are re kind of required to work on themselves in, uh, in similar ways so that they can just do the work that they want to do. Yeah. That's what acting training really, I mean, at our school, it was like, you know, borderline like therapy, you know, Mm-hmm. Like all the acting training was like really kind of like intense and good, which is like kind of cool. Like you kind of like yeah. figure out how to like cry in front of your friends. But for me, it never like really translated into like being a better actor. They kind of like seemed like separate things, you know? Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, it, you're of. like, well, then how is this going to help me with this monologue? And I think that, I think for some people it like really clicked in, but mm -hmm. for me it was a little bit harder. I think I, I have to be myself a hundred 
hundred percent of the time. Like but that's I where some of that needs stuff, to, yeah. yeah. And that's where some of that work needs to come in too, though. You know, like mm-hmm. I was talking about this recently in the podcast, or I referenced it, but there was a book that I read like 15 or so years ago. That was a very old book. It's from like the late seventies or early eighties called acting for the camera. And is it's it, just, is it the Michael Caine book? No. no, 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 no. Yeah, that is a famous acting for the camera book. This is in a not so famous one, I believe. Oh, cool. Um, but it's one that I just picked up because a friend gave me it said like, hey, why don't you check this out? And it was uh, about just positioning yourself for the camera. But uh-huh. it, I, it read like a self-help book in certain parts, in particular this one where it was saying. Um, and it was saying all this because like when you're working on camera, everything is really heightened and magnified because of how the camera lens is. And so he was saying that you have to be a little more subtle, but uh, so much of the work of acting is being in tune emotionally with things and, Mm -hmm. and yourself. And one of the exercises that he said he did with his classes was to get them to stand there and say, I have a right to be mad. I have a right to be sad. I have a right to be happy. You know, things like that. And he said you would be amazed at how hard it was for people yeah. to verbalize, I have a right to be happy. And when Oh I, my god, yeah, that's yeah. so and sad. W- that's so emotional. It is, and it's that's really like a a lot to sort of take in. And I when I read that and I read a couple of other things similar to that that were about, you know, from acting books, I realized you really have to work on yourself. Like you can't have emotional blocks, whether you're the type of actor to sort of be yourself and then you, you know, you take on some extra characteristics or if you just like shed yourself and become another person, you have to be able to be vulnerable and affected by things. And it's hard to do that if you have a bunch of emotional walls up. I think that's really true. And I think that's something that's even more important that we don't even think about is like, you have to be, um, like you have to be accessible and vulnerable to other people and mm-hmm. other people's needs mm-hmm. because like very rarely are you performing or acting alone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. In the theater, it's a rehearsal process with a director and you're there for weeks and weeks on an, like with an ensemble and like a production staff and you have to be a good coworker, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're like not mature enough in your own process and you can't like really communicate with other people and make them feel good, then that's a problem. And the same thing on set, if you're working with another actor, like you have to be emotionally accessible to their needs and what they're going through too. It is, I think a very collaborative sport in that way where you can't just like, you know, worry about yourself. You have to be so kind of like evolved and in tune with yourself that you can also like work really well with others. Yeah, exactly. And, um, it's, it really is good for you (laughs) to Mm -hmm. work on those things, especially if you want to have a career. Um, Especially if you want to do this work. I I, I work as a producer a lot, too. And I was producing these, uh, these like, digital scripts for a Mm -hmm. network. And there was an actress who was a, who's kind of, like, an Instagram personality. She hasn't really acted that much. But she's, Mm -hmm. like, a really just, like, undeniable personality. So this Mm -hmm. was, like, one of her first roles. And her co-star is, like, a Broadway-trained performer. He's been on, like, a, a million TV shows. Um, he was in Hamilton. Like, he's just like a force. He's just, he knows what he's doing. Uh And what he did while he was working with her, like while he was like, while we were doing her coverage and he was there, I mean, he was just so generous and kind and like got her comfortable and made her Mm. feel like, okay about messing up. And like, I think he even like flubbed some of his own takes to like make her feel good, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just like projecting a process, but I I just remember seeing I'm like that's like a professional actor yeah. who's like who's able to like bring his own performance, but then make his co-star um, like that much better. That's that is incredibly generous. I heard a story about uh, Anna Kendrick told a story about George Clooney on um, Up in the Air because it was the first time Anna Kendrick mm. had done something like that, 
and the first day of shooting, he just kind of walked over and, and stood next to her and said, uh, do you get nervous? I get nervous. Just to sort of say, hey, if you're nervous today, mm-hmm. that's okay. Because even I get nervous. <laughs> that's so sweet, yeah. Yeah. And and I I like hearing stories like that because the work's only going to be good if, if everyone can shine. I mean, maybe that's the improviser in me just saying, like, if everyone takes care of everyone, you know, like... You know, that's that's that bedrock principle of support and, and improv. But it is true, you know, like people people aren't going to like a movie because one person was good at it and everyone else, you know, uh, sunk up the barn. Like, that's not how that works. You know, if you want the if you care about the piece, if you care about the work, um, then you would take care of your partners. Yeah, it's so true. What's your background in performing? Did you go to acting school? And, like, what do you do mostly now? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, That's very nice of you. Uh, Generous of you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, I was a a broadcast major in college. And I actually, when I started in college, before classes started, really, just like at orientation, I was a theater major. But my dad suggested broadcasting because it seemed like more in line, I guess. Right, yeah. He also might have just been saying, like, you can get a job. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's valid. Now you're like, well, it makes sense, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and I I liked it, so I did make the switch immediately because I was like, oh, yeah, that would be good. And I was a theater minor, but I was like a credit or two shy of being a double major. Like, yeah. All I needed to do, I didn't. I, I just didn't have the time because I was an RA. But if I had, if basically I learned that if I had done one play, if I got cast in one play, I would have been a double major. Um, so I did enough classes. <laughs> but don't you feel like that's so true, and that like mm-hmm. it's so bittersweet that you like you did the work, but you didn't get the credit. But mm. now, doesn't it not matter at all? It doesn't like, matter. Like what you majored. I remember when I graduated from like theater school, thinking like and being at auditions, being like, "You went where? Like you weren't like in, at a conservatory? Like thinking I was such hot shit." Can I curse on the podcast, by the way? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And now you know, like thinking I'm like the fucking best and then they're gonna get the role like it doesn't matter like no one cares where you trained like right. it really only gives you like a little bit of a leg up like if you right. kill it no one's gonna be like wait you weren't a double major you right, know right. like it's just it's just so interesting to yeah. think about and people don't really hire so you because of your degree no and nor should they that's insane right you know, but, they, they hire but based you, on you don't this, know yeah right right exactly um, and now, um, I, so I, like I told you earlier, I moved here just under two years ago and, um, oh, wow. uh, I'm at the magnet theater and, I'm on a house team there and I've done a little bit of acting work here. Um, and I, and so, and I did stand up, but I haven't done it as much lately. Don't you yeah. do stand up? I do. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of like. There, are, I am. A, I get a little self-conscious about saying I'm a stand-up because I, I consider myself a stand-up, but I don't. But I don't get up as much as like a real ass stand-up, like someone that like tours and like does like three spots a night. Mm-hmm. Like I have a day job. I do sketch. I mm-hmm. do like a monthly show at UCB that is stand-up. Mm-hmm. It's um, I do it with my husband, and it's called audiovisual. So like every, it's like the third Tuesday of every month and we do an hour long show and the, us as a couple, we host it and we kind of write new material for it every month. And then we bring on like three, mostly like standups, but also like musical acts. And basically we kind of challenge everyone to do something a little extra with their set. So that's Mm -hmm. why it's called audiovisual. So they'll either like show pictures with their standup set or they'll do some sort of like multimedia, like PowerPoint presentation or like music, just like something that has like a little extra zhuzh because mm-hmm. that like UCB East space is a really like kind of like presentational theater. It's like an old mm-hmm. movie theater. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of like solo performance with like the, you know, projector in the background, like it, it, it just kind of is a good fit for the space. Yeah. And that's, and that's been really fun. And then, like this week I had like, I think I have a show tonight and I have a show on Friday. So I get up, mm-hmm. but I don't, 
I don't need stand up to live, basically. Right. How did you, know? you so get into stand up? Were you did you start stand up here or in Boston? I I mean I started comedy all for the most part in uh, New York mm-hmm. in in Boston. I moved to LA for like a very short year after college, and that's where I started doing improv. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because like a boyfriend of mine at the time was living in New York and he was Mm. kind of, uh, at UCB and he was like, you know, you should go to IO in Chicago. Mm. Um, I mean, no, sorry, you should go to IO West in LA, Mm. but it's like the IO in that was in Chicago, like the same theater. He's like, I feel like you get like a great improv education. So I went there and it was just the best. I had yeah. such a great time. I felt like I finally could like perform again, you oh, know, great. instead of like just auditioning. And then when I moved to New York, I just kind of got swept up into the UCB scene. Mm-hmm. And I started doing storytelling, which is like a gateway drug to stand up. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, and sure. I host yeah, and I hosted like a storytelling show with a girl named Caitlin Brodnick, who's an amazing comedian. Mm-hmm. And we did that at the pit for like I want to say like three years almost. It was like a long time and it was called shut up. And that kind of led to me taking those stories, making them shorter and then just doing stand up at like, um, just kind of around like the Brooklyn lower Manhattan bar scene. Mm-hmm. So I get up, I get up a couple times a month. Um, nothing super regular except for like the, the show I host at UCB. I find it kind of hard to do both regularly. Stand up and improv? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I I don't do improv as much anymore, Mm -hmm. almost at all. Like, there's one show at UCB I still sit in with, Mm -hmm. um, and and I like it because it's like a theme. It's like 90s improv, so it's like, you know, the jokes are really, like, you kind of know the world you're in. Uh Uh-huh. But improv got hard for me when I started doing sketch because I was like, I feel so unrehearsed. I oh, feel like wow. I would be so much better if I like, I just felt like at my strengths as a performer were a little bit more, um, where I had a little more artistic control. Oh, I guess. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm a media. I, I think at this point, I think I'm like a, a B minus improviser, you know, in, in a, in a good way. Like I can, I can, I, I can do it with very, with little fear, but I, I would rather do something that I had like really kind of like conceived of. Right, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned you have a day job. Is that producing, or what is that? Yeah, so I'm actually switching my day job just really uh, as of, like, Friday. So I worked for a production company um, in development, specifically, Mm -hmm. like, comedy development. So Mm -hmm. it was just developing new TV shows and mostly in kind of, like, on the supervising producer, like, executive producer level. So I would come up with shows, uh, concepts, pitch them to network. Oh, wow. And then do pilots and small series and just kind of like a, a TV job. How did you get that? It was crazy. So I, I as like a con, like comedian, actor, person, I was waiting tables at night mm-hmm. and auditioning during the day. Mm-hmm. And also, also Tala, so the Tala is like a really big kind of part of like my transition. So mm-hmm. I was starting to do a lot more UCB stuff, which all performs at night, which kind of like ruined my financial plan. Cause I'm like giving up shifts at the restaurant to do <laughs> improv shows. Yeah. And I kind of not really auditioning that well. Like I've never like killed it with like great representation. My auditions mm. are always pretty sporadic. So I was like, well, I'm I'm enjoying performing so much more. I need to get a day job, like a real day job so then I could free up at night. And Tala was working at this law firm Mm -hmm. and she was a night receptionist. So she got me a job at the law firm as like the daytime receptionist. Mm. And I did that and performed at night. And then, so she, I mean, she's also, she got Teresa job there. Like she's like, she was like the center of like us getting paid basically. Yeah. And like a, at like a pretty cushy office job. Um, but then it gets tiring doing something that's so not in your field. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, started. I, I agree with oh, that. Oh yeah, go on. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's to, hard. I just have to jump right in on that. Um, yeah, just please. because it really is. It, sometimes it can be soul crushing. But sometimes it's just such, it's like life draining. It's like it drains your life force to do something that is 
so outside of the realm of I what know. you do. It's not that it's beneath you or anything like that. It's just that it's... I know. You just you, you feel like you're extolling a bunch of energy, and it's not only not what you want to do, but just not what you feel like you're best at. So you're not, you're not getting powered. It's so true. Do you have a day job? Is this coming from, like, a place? Well, I do have a part-time day job, and it's actually not so incredibly draining, um, like yeah. like other positions that I've had that were a little bit outside of the wheelhouse. And I think it's because a lot of comedians are at this job, and it has yeah. such flexibility. Uh, and it's a startup, so it just has a different sort of vibe. But I will yeah. thrive if I'm working a day job that involves creativity. It's so true. It's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword because I've had day jobs that are completely other than what I do, and mm-hmm. it's the worst. Mm-hmm. And then when I was at, you know, my production company job for a long time, I was like, I'm putting so much energy into other people's projects. I wish I had more of that kind of like creative headspace for my own. Mm-hmm. But you're getting smarter and you're like getting more experience. Right. So in the end, I think it's so much better. But it is hard. It's hard no matter how you crack it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I... But I just was desperate like, after working in that law office to find a job that would pay me to do comedy. Mm-hmm. So I just like got really lucky and people recommend, started recommending me for jobs, you know, like kind of like as like a like writing, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, and like kind of small like story producing stuff. And I parlayed that storytelling show into kind of like an experience for uh, an MTV pilot that I ended up getting my first like TV job as like a writer producer for this pilot. Cause oh. it was like a storytelling pilot. Like it was like through the perspectives of like young men and women on like horrific dates. And they didn't have any other options. I think they, I think they were like pretty much like they didn't interview anyone else. So I ended up getting this job mm-hmm. as a writer producer for a pilot that ended up not getting to series, but it gave me my first like credit. And then I was able from there to get another writing job on a series. And then I just kind of found this world of television production of like freelance writing and producing. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It gave me so much like uh, self-confidence. I felt like for the first time I like at a party, if someone asked what I do, like I felt like, I didn't have to over explain it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't like, I work at a law office, but also I do comedy at night and I'm yeah. an actor. Like it just, it really helped give me a little bit of a boost in my late twenties that I've been like looking for. And then, um, I was the, one of the production companies of the show I worked on is the show did get picked up for another season. So the production mm. company was really sweet to me and asked me to kind of like help redevelop it. So I learned a little bit about what television development was. And then the company I had worked for for the past four years, just through friends and and my husband works at that company. They just knew who I was Mm -hmm. and they needed someone to start comedy development kind of branch Mm -hmm. uh, on their team. And then I I started that. So I I was there for like four and a half years um, doing comedy development on like a full time slash part time basis. They were very flexible with me. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, cool. One of the things I feel like I can learn from you in regards to this is how to step into roles like that, because I, I don't know if you went into those roles saying, oh, I know exactly how to do this because I've done X, Y, Z before. Was it did you feel like there was a big curve? Did Was it like yeah. a fish out of water a little bit? And if so, how did you handle that? I was 100% fake it till you make it. Mm. Only now, at the at the point I am now in like my early 30s, very early 30s listeners, <laughs> I mean, I am telling you, like, I am like a day over 30. Um is uh, I, I, I'm just now getting in, getting positions and getting uh, getting jobs where I feel like I know what I'm doing. And that's mm-hmm. like literally just of like the past six months, I feel. Mm-hmm. Every job for me has been like asking friends for, like ask your friends for help. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always like shy about like asking for help, like ask them to like proofread things, ask them how to format things. Mm-hmm. Um, my first job, I didn't have final drafts. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to format a script. Mm-hmm. So I pulled my friend aside and I got like a free, uh, like script formatting, like uh, Celtics, mm-hmm. which like later, like my boss was like, this is the worst thing. Like, I can't believe you use this. But I was like, 
I didn't know anything, but I, she had to teach me how to like format a script and, you know, it's just, it's tough. It, it, it's like and women, especially like, I think men traditionally like apply for jobs that they're maybe not on paper qualified for, but they are more apt to take risks. Mm, I think I women a study about that. That was saying what, what you're saying that men were, uh, there were men who were more likely to ask for something or to go for something that they yeah. were less qualified for than, yeah. and there were women who were more qualified for yeah. certain things and still were too afraid to ask. It's so true. I mean, and I can only speak for myself as a woman. And I think that that a hundred percent is true for me. And mm. there's nothing wrong with asking for things that you're not qualified for. It's mm. everyone's right. It's just, you know, I think it's, it's cool now to, for other women to empower other women mm-hmm. and men to empower women and, and minorities and kind of marginalized groups of being like you, not everyone went to school for this thing or knows how to do it. You learn on experience mm-hmm. and that you have something that you can give and you can kind of like tell a couple white lies just to get what you want. And that's not that big of a deal. Like I, right. it's, it was, it was crazy. Like how many like scared before shoots, you know, like sleepless nights that I was like, I am such a fraud, <laughs> but that's how you learn. And now yeah. I'm like, Oh my, just barely a fraud. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm mostly legit, but I, there's still a little bit of fraud in me. I'm still a bit scared to ask. Like I've gone for, I've gone the traditional route of applying for jobs. And I think in that route, you kind of have to be able to show that you know what yeah. you're doing. Um, but when, a you know, I, I everyone I know or, or so many people I meet here, when I ask them, like, oh, how did you get that? He's like, I really don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, I just, know. it just happened. Uh, somebody said something, a friend, and I just ended up here. You know, like, it's, and, and so it's kind of elusive to a certain degree. But um, yeah. I do need to, there, there's certain jobs where I'm like, I know how to do this. I, I know. I, I could totally do this. I just don't know how to prove that to them. Yeah, I think the only, and I don't know any other way, and it's super unfair. I think the only way you can get a job these days is knowing someone that can recommend you. Yeah, and it seems Um, like that's especially true in New York. Yeah, it is. There's just too many people, Mm -hmm. and especially in, like, TV and film, it's so much about, like, is this person, like, a monster? Are they cool? Like, and have someone, like, vouching for that for you or, like, Mm -hmm. another person Mm -hmm. goes such a long way and there are skills that are very teachable that I think if you're if someone's like no I know like I know Lisa she's great like she's good at this she could probably need a little more experience at this it's just that's going to get you like an interview like all the jobs I've gotten have been through people that have recommended me or through connections of people I've already known and I think that's why it's like a really good thing for advice like maybe this is like kind of like the secret or whatever, but like Uh putting what you want out into the world just so people know that you want to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like you're a top of mind. If you're kind of vocal, like, you know what, I'd really love to, you know, uh, get into like story producing, or I would really Mm -hmm. love to get into writing. Your friends are going to hear that. And then when they hear of a writing job, they're going to be like, Oh, I heard that so-and-so actually wants to do that. Maybe I'll put their name in. But if they didn't know that was even something you were considering, mm. that certainly wouldn't like come back to you. Well, you know what? Um, that's really great advice and, I, uh, and, and good insight because you're right. You know, like a lot of people look at the secret and things like that as put it out into the universe and the universe. Right. Will, but you're saying it in a more practical way of, People will hear it and people who can get you stuff will hear it. And, you know, now they know that you want it. You know, like if you. It's completely because if you're also if you're looking for a career shift, if you're like an actor and you're like, well, I'm an actor, like first and foremost. But I also would really love to, you know, see what like being a script coordinator is like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like and you don't tell anyone that then then no one can help you right and it's so word of mouth that i think just like mm-hmm. kind of like almost like a verbal like wish list or something or like reach out to someone be like who works on a show and be like hey do you know like a script coordinator i could talk to i'd love to see like what that lifestyle is like and then if they can't if they have to leave a show like you're kind of top of mind i think it 
And it yeah. works, you know, it's harder in that kind of performing thing because so many people want to do it and it's so talent based, but this is a big world in terms of like the amount of creative jobs you can get to sustain performing that if you're interested in something that's like slightly parallel, I think it's really good to start making it known and to start yeah. reaching out to people, you know? Yeah. Um, well, w with that, that I will just say out into the world, I would love to get cast on Legends of Tomorrow with Tala Ash. <laughs> Well, I think I think you know someone that you know. So if it's, so, if a superhero, you know, gets like a gets like a broken foot or something, you know, you might be on a short list to replace. Hey, I'm game. That DC universe is small. You know who knows? Listen, it's a great little universe, the Flareoverse, as they call it. Um, or the, yeah. you know, they call it different things. Arrowverse, Berlantiverse. Either way. <laughs> Great. I love those shows. Uh, I mean, All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll see that come back to you, I'm sure. Okay. Um, well, you know, <laughs> we're here at the end of the podcast where we like to create something together. And maybe what we can create together are like maybe things that people can put out in the world. We can come up with some mm -hmm. ideas of things that maybe I should put out in the world. to, uh, Or uh, maybe if you have a better idea, we can do that, too. Or no, I love, I love, we could put stuff out into the world. That's super fun. Okay. Well, um, I do want that, you know, like the, the stability that a steady job offers. Uh-huh. I love that too. That's, that's right. a good thing to know about your personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I will say that the way I, I would most like that to happen is with acting work. And I, and I do want to work on projects, the sort of projects that inspire me and that I admire, um, but I also would like to create things and help other people create their work and put it out mm. there. Um, but I don't know the best ways to sort of go about at least, you know, that second one of just like, how do, I mean, I guess I would have to have a production company or something like that, but how do you even go yeah, about making that happen? I mean, you could, like, so if you're, like, a magnet person, like, you could host a show at the magnet, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and, like, put other people up. I'm, like, so, I think I, a live performance to me is, like, the best of all mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. There's something, like, I think that is pretty unparalleled. But I think yeah. that's, like, you know, the show, you know, we host at UCB East is, like, a great way to, like, hang out with other performers, catch up with friends, and give people you know, an opportunity to like try new stuff out. And I like selfishly get to perform myself. So yeah. it's like, it's like the best of both worlds. For sure. Is there anything that you're still wanting to do in, in your journey? Yeah. I think I have never written like a, a narrative script. Mm -hmm. I've like, as a writer done so much, like, like I used to work on like a, like a kind of a panel show or a talk show. Like I'm so in, in development, you're so into like development writing and like, I would love to write for myself, mm. yeah. like a pilot or like a solo show, something that has like a narrative arc and kind of get reps in that way. Yeah, that's cool. That's like, yeah, that's what I think what I would, I think that's where I feel like a, a fraud. Like, I feel like I could, mm. I don't know what that is, you know, to like write my own pilot. So that's something I want to feel like more confident about. Well, that's awesome. And I think yeah. I was actually just about to ask if you had desires to do that because I get a sense that you could. Well, oh, my God. Thank you so much, Jason. Now I feel like I do. I can. Yeah. <laughs> I just well, need someone to believe in me. Well, I believe in you. Thank and you. I think, I think it's really fun to, like, develop stuff, like, to write a script or to help someone else. Yeah. I love helping, to, like someone punch up a script or something like that. Oh, I know. Ask me to like read her sketch. And, um, I love just like breaking it down and thinking about it and like, Oh, what if this, you know, what if you did that, uh, just to help streamline some things, you know, like it was a fun experience and I, I kind of felt confident in my ability to do that. So I, I, I don't know. I feel bolstered. Well, well, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like people need that because I think other people, they need like your, 
perspective and your point of view on things. And I think offering that out to more people will like come back to you tenfold. That's another thing that I think is like when you don't know what to do for yourself, helping someone else is sometimes can like help you like giving someone else like Mm -hmm. notes on a script or giving someone else like career advice. I think in the end will kind of like help you in the same way. It's like a, like a charitable act, you know, and it like it makes yeah. you feel good and it like might, it might actually in the end, like show you something about what you want to do. Oh, well, that's cool. Right? Well, there it is. Lisa Kleinman, thank wow. you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I hope this was at all entertaining and interesting. Um, I thought it was very entertaining. And okay, good. As long as you do. <laughs> okay. That's all that matters. Oh, <laughs> I really, really enjoy her. She's so funny. I love her energy and her vibe. And, um, you know, I hope uh, I hope we become best friends. That's I'm just going to put it out there. That's what I'm putting into the universe right now. I hope Lisa Kleinman and I become best friends because she is awesome. I hope you enjoyed that chat. If you want to know more about Lisa, you can go to lisakleinman.com. Of course, links in bio, also to her social media. And if you want to subscribe to us and haven't yet, please do. We would love it if you subscribed and followed us on social media. Links in bio, but just at There It Is Pod, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Well, folks, that is today's episode, and I hope you have a wonderful birthday, if it's your birthday. And if you happen, if it's if it's not January 10th and you're listening to this, but it happens to be your birthday, well, happy birthday to you too, my friend. And if it's not your birthday and you're listening to this, you know what, I'm so glad you were born, and I'm so glad you're listening. All right, enough of this nonsense. I'm going to go do my drunk birthday bird box challenge. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 